0: From, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel in which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, was from Dan to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again to Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Kyle. Even got that bad chapter break there, that, that uh, it breaks at chapter 4, and chapter 4, verse 1, that first half belongs with chapter 3. So uh, I thought I was going to have to tack it on, and I don't have to. Um, before we start, let's uh, bow in prayer. Lord, what uh, wonderful hymns we got to sing, and uh, what wonderful words and thoughts are contained in those hymns. Lord, it just makes me grateful for the history of the church for the history of the church in the West, um, the American church, what, what we've had in the past, what you've done through and in us. And Lord, I just, I thank you for the people who have thought through these words and these intentions and put them into beautiful songs. Um, it's, it's that's a blessing to future generations. And we pray that the same would be true for those who come after us, that some of the best songs that we write and sing today would be a blessing to them. Um, May they add add to your praise in your church. Uh, Father, I want to pray for Bob because I I think Bob would have really appreciated singing some of these hymns. Uh, We wish he was here with us. Uh, We pray that you continue to strengthen him and work with him in in the recovery uh, from his surgery. And uh, Lord, we ask for his healing. And we ask, Lord, that the healing would come soon. and would be um, very strong so that he would be able to brag to everyone around about what the Lord has done for him. Uh, beyond the, the marvelous things you've already done for him, Lord, just another experience of your kindness to him that he would be able to tell others. And uh, Lord, we selfishly want him to come back and worship with us. We want his, his uh, presence, his friendliness, his kindness with us again. So would you have mercy on him and have mercy on us and restore our brother? Uh, Father, we pray again for the Pharaohs. We thank you for their visit. And uh, as they return to, um, uh, to the mission field, Lord, we pray that you would open a miraculous door and get them their visas today or that they would get word today or tomorrow that their visas have come through so that they don't have to do all the, the funky things that they'll have to do in the future to, to stay. So uh, Lord, we pray for their, uh, their return. Um, Lord, we also want to pray for their ministry for the work that they're doing in sharing the gospel with those who don't know you. And we pray that you would bless and blossom their ministry. They, they would um, reap a rich harvest for the kingdom of Christ. And we thank you for their selflessness and their willingness to serve and to go. And, uh, Lord, I want to especially pray for the Stromberg family now as they're um, going through just a lot this week. Lord, Dan has had just the world on his shoulders. And we pray for your mercy on, on him and his whole family with his sister Ruth having to be taken into care um, because of dementia, Alzheimer's, or whatever the diagnosis is. Um, Lord, I can imagine how frustrated and angry that makes her to know that she has to be taken care of because she probably can't perc- perceive the problems. she's not aware of them. Her, her brain's not functioning correctly in some of those areas. And so Lord, that's that's got to be frustrating and frightening and intimidating. And Lord, for Dan, I just I praise praise you for him. He's been such a blessing to this church, to me personally. And now, Lord, he is standing up as a bulwark in his family and taking the brunt of his sister's anger as he's trying to help and guide her. And Lord, by your sovereign hand, her son Mike died suddenly in his sleep. Lord, we thank you that you uh, called him to meet your own. Lord, that he has had a, a faith in you for a long time. And Lord, his faith is now sight as he, he sees what he's been hoping for. Uh, but Lord, the, the hole that that will leave in the family amongst all the other sorrows, Lord, there's just a lot. And so I pray that you would um, be there with them, the whole family as they go through this. And now Kathy being homesick, we pray for her speedy recovery and her health soon. So Lord, just have mercy on our, our brother and sister in Christ. And we're, we're again so grateful for them and the ministry that they have here. And we, we long for you to bless them and to strengthen them. And so, Lord, as we turn now to your word, would you use your word to that end? Would you, through the power of your word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the illuminating work that the Spirit does in us, help us to see you and to find hope in you? And Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I grew up in a suburb of Detroit called, it's Down River from Detroit. It's the southern, south of Detroit. So so that journey song, just a small town boy born and raised in South Detroit, that's me. Um, uh, Although I did not take a midnight train going anywhere. Uh, But I I grew up in this this suburb of Detroit, and the area where our house was was originally a big farm. And when they divided it up, the uh, lots were very long and narrow. We had a half an acre lot, but it was really narrow and really super long, which was really a bummer to have to mow but on each side of us the lots on each side of us when i was a little kid they were empty they were just wooded and so that was a great place to have adventures and go do things well one day when i was probably in fifth or sixth grade in the lot next to us uh, some trucks showed up and they began to bulldoze and, and plow and move stuff around and they dug a great big hole in the ground and what it was was they were pouring a foundation they were putting a basement in and eventually they would move in a modular house the, put it on top of it. But for a while, it was just this open hole in the ground. And so, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade boys, what are we going to do? We're going to go over and play in the big hole in the ground. So we went over there and we're exploring. And in the middle of this basement was a big 10-gallon drum and it was full of uh, scrap wood. So what do fourth, fifth, sixth grade boys do with a big 10-gallon drum full of scrap wood? You light it on fire, of course. I mean, that's what you do. It was in the drum, so it wasn't like we were going to burn down the building. There was no building to burn down, but I mean, there was no imminent danger. It was just a small fire in this thing. And so we played, and this, by the way, was back in the 1970s when parents said, go outside, do not come back home until the streetlights come on. Um, They didn't helicopter parent you and, and make sure that you got to and from. They just said, go away and come back when you're done. So I came home, you know, it was getting late. I came home and my mom was in the bathroom and she's getting ready, gonna go someplace. I'm not sure where she was heading. And I came in the bathroom and I'm chit chatting with her and hi, you know, how'd you do, what's going on? And all of a sudden she stopped and she looked at me and she went, Timmy, what did you set on fire? And I just froze. Oh my gosh, how could she possibly know this? I was convinced mothers had a sixth sense. There's no way she could have known. I was in a hole in the ground. She was at work. She couldn't have seen it. Well, it turns out it wasn't a sixth sense. It was one of her five senses, the sense of smell. I smelled like fire. But the thing was, I thought there's she's not there, therefore she can't know. There, there, she's not there, therefore she can't be aware of what's going on. And so what we're going to see this morning in, in Samuel chapter 3 is God is appears to not be there, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know. Um. This took me a while to understand God is even greater than my mom. He, sh- he knows more than my mother does. And she knows a lot. So what, we, what we're what we going to see this morning is we're going to look at this as when God seems distant. And, and the question is, is he really? This is also kind of an origin story for Samuel. And that's how it's, it's going to end. Is going to take us into the beginning of his ministry. So let's take a look. Uh, the story is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and I think the key phrase here is right there at the end of chapter or verse 1, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So the word of the Lord was rare. Um, it, it wasn't something that came up a lot. That doesn't mean it was absent. They had the Pentateuch. They had Moses' writings. I would wager a guess that they probably even had Joshua by that point. They didn't probably have Judges, and they definitely didn't have 1 Samuel because it's happening. But they had the word. And not only that, but they had these, these utterances from the Lord. If you look at the book of Judges, God speaks. He talks through Judges. He talks through prophets. An angel shows up to Moen's, uh wife and says, you're going to have a son. So it's not like he never spoke. But th- there's an argument on how big of a time span the book of Judges covers. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 years, spread that out, those visions, those encounters over 400 years, and it's pretty rare. And apparently it had tapered off toward the end. By the time we get to Samuel, the word of the Lord was rare. So they had some knowledge of it, but it wasn't as as, uh, prevalent as it would be. And so that's the problem here, is God seems to have gone silent. He seems to have become quiet. Um, It says that the boy Samuel samuel a jewish tradition says he was 12 at this point that seems plausible it seems about right because he's left alone in the temple he's got job to do that kind of thing so he's he's young enough to understand this but still be referred to as a boy oh the other thing i forgot to mention that they had they had the writings of moses they had the, the infrequent revelation they also had something called the um and Thummin. these were some kind of lots that were part of the, the ephod that the priest would wear. And so they would cast lots. And the Urim and Thummim come up again. Urim and Thummim, I can't say that, uh, come up again in chapter 14. Um, when Saul determines that there's sin in the camp, he says, let's figure out who this is with. So uh, verse uh, 41, therefore, Saul said, O Lord of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is on me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord, God of Israel, give Urim. If this guilt is on your people, give Thummim. This is probably how Urim and Thummim worked was you'd throw it. And if it gave one, it would be that. And that's how they decided stuff. So they had the word of the Lord was still present. Although sometimes the Urim and Thummim didn't work and would come up quiet. So the problem is God has been silent. And now, verse two, uh, it says, At that time, Eli, whose sight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was laying down in the temple where the ark was. That's a packed sentence there. There's a lot going on in there. I think that the author is drawing a parallel between the condition, the spiritual condition of Israel, and the story. Eli's eyesight is growing dim. The lamp of the Lord is not gone out. That probably indicates that this was well on to the morning, nearing the sunrise. So it's very dark out. Eli goes and lays down. He falls asleep. His eyes are closed. So these things happen, but, but I think the author draws them together to give us this picture of this is the spiritual condition that Israel's in dim sight dark and darkness is settling around them i think that's what's probably going on the 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 lamp of the lord that's referred to there is probably a candlestick in the temple and what would happen is that they were charged to charge it with oil and light it and keep it burning all night and then at twilight when the sun was coming up they could put it out so this is probably these events probably are happening not just you know at, at dusk when they first lay down to go to bed this is probably early into the morning approaching sunrise so the the lamp is maybe a little dimmer than it was at the beginning but it hasn't gone out yet and so here's this puzzling part Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was what I don't think this means he was laying inside the holy of holies Um, that was still a fairly sacred place so the temple was built and in the back of the temple was a, a place called the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant was there and there was a curtain in front of it. And the priest was only allowed to go in there once a year and he had to bring blood and he had to have uh, incense and he had to have bells on his, his robe in case he died. They would know that he died behind the curtain. So I don't think Samuel's in there. I think what it's saying when it mentions the Ark is he's saying he's in the, in the, in the uh, tabernacle, the Ark is still there. Because in chapter four, what's going to happen is the ark is, ark is going to be taken out and moved around. So it's it's still in this place. Why is Samuel sleeping in the temple? Um, there was a lot of odd things going on in Israel at this time. Remember Eli's boys from last chapter. That was none of that was really biblical. What they were doing in the temple, um, they were they were doing some pretty horrible stuff. So this idea that Samuel might sleep in the temple. It's not because, well, you know, we don't have a tent for you. Go sleep in the, in the, um, you know, the temple place. It's probably because I think at the end it says that he woke up in the morning and he opened the doors of the temple. So it might be, this is just my theory, it might be that he was sleeping there for security. He closed the doors from the inside. It's a tent, so these doors are not like, you know, big wooden doors, but there was a, a barricade put up. And so he might be charged to sleep inside so that he could lock it or secure it from the inside because maybe people would sneak in and steal stuff you never know i mean that wouldn't put it past this dark spot in in israel's history so for whatever reason he's sleeping there that's where he's at um so what happens next is as he's sleeping there suddenly hears a voice and and it says in verse four the lord called samuel so he hears a voice and he must he assumes it must be eli And so he yells, here I am. And he goes charging out and runs to wherever Eli, who must be close by, and says, here I am. And Eli says, that wasn't me, go back to bed. Again, if this is early in the morning, Eli's an old guy, he's probably cranky. Why are you waking me up? You know, get a glass of water yourself and go to bed. So he sends him back and the God calls him again, Samuel. And he does the same thing. Here I am, and he goes charging out. And Eli says one more time. So this happens three times on the third time, Eli finally realizes something's going on here. This isn't, this isn't just a, a quirk. Samuel's hearing something. He's laying in the temple. I wonder if he's hearing the Lord. So that's where he tells him, um, go lay down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So this time, don't come charging to me, just respond. So that's what he does. He, he lays down and he's listening. And he hears it again, the fourth time. Um, the fourth time the Lord came and stood. It wasn't just a voice this time. I wish the author gave us more detail on this. The Lord came and stood. He, he's standing before Samuel and addressing him. What would that look like? I mean, think about Zechariah when he goes into the temple to offer the incense, and an angel comes in and tells him, you're going to have a son. I mean, that was a pretty frightful experience. This doesn't say an angel came, it says the Lord came and stood. And so now he says, Samuel, Samuel, it repeats it. There's, there's this, he says it twice. It seems to be more of a urgent call, Samuel, Samuel. He's been patient, but now he, he's got his attention. And so Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. And God repeats the message that he'd given earlier through the prophet to to Eli. He says, on that day, there's a day coming when judgment's gonna happen. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And then I declared to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering, forever. It's a chilling statement. This is the beginning of Samuel's prophetic ministry, as he gets to announce judgment to somebody who has called him my son, somebody he's grown up he's grown up with. What a burden to put on a young kid. He has to announce to. Eli, that what the man of God said is going to happen. There's a day coming. The judgment was going to come. And then the chilling part is, his house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. There is atonement for sins. That's what the temple was about. That's why there was a tabernacle. That's why there was offerings was to atone for sin. But the lesson we're going to learn from Saul and, and the lesson that comes through the rest of scripture is, it's better to obey than to go seek the forgiveness. So it's it's not like you would say, Well, I I can have my sins atoned for, so let's go chalk up a couple more. That is not a repentant heart. There's there's an element to atonement that it calls for repentance. It's built for people who come and say, Lord, I have sinned against you and I am sorry and I want restored fellowship. Therefore, there is atonement. So when God says there is no atonement by sacrifice or offering forever, what he's saying is what what it said last chapter is God had determined to kill him. He is determined he's going to withhold instead of giving them the repentance that they they could have, that they can't seem to be interested in in them themselves. He's not going to do it. There is a day coming where even if they came and they offered sacrifice, because isn't that what they've been doing? They've been offering sacrifices, but they've been abusing it and self serving. So there is no forgiveness for them. It's a chilling message. It's it's terrifying and. Samuel is not comfortable with it. So verse 15, Samuel lay until the morning when he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. So he come, He gets up, he probably didn't sleep. There's no indication that he ever fell back to sleep. So he gets up and he opens the doors of the house and Eli probably comes ambling in. And, and I can just imagine little Samuel trying to avoid his gaze. I don't want to talk about this. I really don't want to talk about this. This is horrible but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. We don't know what his life was like from the time Hannah dropped him off until now, but apparently Eli had grown fond of the boy. There, there's a, there was a relationship built, a father and son relationship. Eli apparently is not too keen on his own two sons. They're kind of kind of jerks, but he is definitely attracted to Samuel, Samuel, my son, He says, and Samuel responds, here I am. He learned his lesson. Here I am. It's a standard response, but he knows what's coming. And Eli says, what was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. I think, I think Eli knows what's coming. He's already heard from a prophet. I think he knows what's, aware, what's, what's coming because he says, don't hide it from me. And the fact that Samuel's acting kind of cagey just confirms it don't hide it to me may god do to you may god do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me that he told you now that seems to be a, a shocking juxtaposition between my son and then announcing this curse on him but this was just the standard way of saying man don't don't pull any punches just just tell me just put it out there i don't think it was such a rebuke and so samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him Here's the bad news. You're gonna die. Boys are gonna die. So Samuel told him everything. He had nothing, and he said, "It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good." That seems like such a cold response, such an indifferent response. And so some of the commentators say, "Oh, this is just Eli being indifferent. He doesn't really care. He doesn't believe it. He's like Saul." I don't. I don't know. You can't tell. I think the author kind of leaves it like that in this kind of undefined position. Because it's such a shock to us. It could be an act of utmost faith. It's like, hey, I know I've messed up. I'm just going to trust the Lord in this. What he's going to do is going to be right. I I can't change that. But I'm going to trust him in it. Or it could be like some of the commentators said, just complete indifference. Yeah, whatever. Okay, whatever the Lord does. I I just, you can't tell. But that leaves us hanging. It leaves us in that strange place there where what's happening? What's going on? But we know what's coming. We've been told what's coming. So the word of the Lord, which was rare in those days, now appears and it's a word of judgment. It's kind of scary. So as I said, part of this is Samuel's origin story, his beginning. And so verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. So Dan is up in the north, Beersheba's down in the south. It's those two terms are put together often to kind of picture the entirety of Israel. So everybody in Israel knew that Samuel was the new prophet. He's, he's a young kid still, but he's growing. It says Samuel grew. So he's he's growing in, in reputation and in stature, getting more comfortable with the word that the Lord's going to give him. And they knew that he was established as a prophet. Um this is going to be the beginning of something new. There were prophets before. They were called seers. But there was no official kind of this is the prophet. There was prophets that would rise and go and they would come and, and appear and disappear. But Samuel is going to move into the forefront as the prophet. He's going to be this kind of judge that lasts more than just a few years to deal with a problem. He's going to be a judge that lasts for a while in Israel. And he's established in Israel and verse uh, chapter four, verse one, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Just like Eli said, my son, don't hide anything from me. Samuel is not hiding anything from all of Israel. So what does this tell us? This is the story. When you do this Old Testament narratives, you kind of go through the story, you get what's happening. And then, then you have to say, now, how do I bring that home to us? How does that apply for us? What are we to do with this? And remember what we've said before is that that Peter told us all scripture is about Jesus. So this is about Jesus in some way, in some fashion. And Paul tells us, these things were written down for your instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. So this is here for our instruction too. So when we look at this, we have to ask those questions. Where's Jesus and what am I supposed to learn from this? Well, what I said last week is Jesus is not here yet. Yet. We're still waiting for that king. The the situation in Israel is such a mess. It is so dim, so dark. Now you've got this young kid as the prophet. And the word of the Lord is is coming to Israel through that. But the spiritual condition of the nation is not great. I think what's supposed to be happening here in in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is, again, building that desire in us. We want more. This is not a good situation for us to be in. And so when we're doing that, when we're reading through this, and we're, we're beginning now to desire, Lord, you've got to do something. Thank you for Samuel, but we need more than that. There, there should be a king in Israel. There's got to be somebody to lead the nation rightly. And it builds in, that, in us that desire to say, we need that too. We need to have that king. We need to have that leader. Jesus will step in and fill it. David's going to do it in a, in a s- small way, but ultimately it'll be Jesus who will be the king. And so we can kind of feel like this right now because Jesus has come, he had his earthly ministry, he's ascended into heaven. He's not here right now. He's not walking with us. And so we can have that same kind of feeling as, Lord, where are you? What's going on? You look around the church. Social media right now is, well, let me retract that. Social media is a hot mess. It's always been a disaster. And some parts of it are just seem to be blind to the problems in the church and other parts of social media. They can only focus on what's wrong with the church. And in some places, I think they're inventing things wrong with the church. So we are in a similar place. We need the Lord. We, we, we should be crying out. This is why I keep saying eschatology is more important now than it's ever been. It's been in our lifetime, I think, is because we need to have the return of Christ. We should be aching for that, looking forward to it and knowing that that's our blessed hope. So that's where that's how we fit into this at this point. But there's more to it than that because this is the old covenant. And in the old covenant, not all Israel knew the Lord. As a matter of fact, in, in the last chapter, it said Eli's sons did not know the Lord, they were worthless men. In this chapter, it said that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, I think that's not saying that neither one of them are believers. I think what's going on is Samuel just hasn't had that experience because the next thing it says after Samuel did not know the Lord, it says the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So it's just he hasn't been given his prophetic office yet, but he didn't know the Lord in that way. And so not all Israel knew the Lord, but they were still part of the covenant family. They were still part of that, that, uh, that tribe of uh, nations that were descendants of Jacob. What about the new covenant? Well, here there is no Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. So how are we part of this covenant family now? Well, because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've been given heart circumcision. The thing that God had called for Israel to receive all the time, he gave to us. How do we know that we're part of that covenant family? Because we have Christ, we believe in Jesus Christ. We've been sealed with the Spirit. We've been given heart circumcision. Not only do we have that, they had, like I said, Pentateuch and maybe Joshua at this time. We have the completed canon, Old and New Testament. So we've got all of these blessings given to us. Jesus has come. So we've been able to see the promises of God enacted in the person of Jesus Christ. He's ascended into heaven and we're waiting for his return. We are in a far better position than they were. And yet there are times when God feels very distant from us. He seems very quiet. It seems like our prayers are going no further than the roof of our house. And so how should we respond in this case? What should we be doing? How should we do this? Well, one of the things to remember is Jesus has come. Hebrews 1, long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who is appointed to heir of all things, through whom he created the world. We have a better word, made more sure. We can hear it much more clearly. So when we have these dry times, these desperate times, we're crying out to the Lord, where are you? And we don't feel the things that we used to feel. It could be that God has withdrawn from us for a little bit to make this space because when you get comfortable with what you have, you kind of begin to not really notice it anymore. So when Lisa and I first got married, we we lived in England in this beautiful little town, Woodbridge. We lived in a 16th century home called the Bridewell. And we just kind of lived there. It was just, you know, we thought it was nice but it was just this place we lived. We we were so poor when we first got married, we couldn't afford blinds. So we hung sheets in the window and the people across the street from us got very mad about that. You're living in a listed home. You can't put sheets in the window. Listed means historical list. You can't put sheets in the window. We didn't know. We just, it was just a house. Now, when we look back, we both get a little misty-eyed when we think about the Bridewell and living in, in, in downtown Woodbridge. At the time, we didn't appreciate, I don't think, the fullness of what we had. And so now nostalgia is calls our, heart, our hearts back to that. We love that place. That was beautiful. So sometimes I think when the Lord withdraws, he sends a season with you in close proximity, and you read his word, and the words just jump off the page, and it seems like every paragraph, there's something wonderful you're seeing, and when you pray, it feels like Jesus is sitting right next to you with his hand on your shoulder, and thank you, Lord, and I want to pray forever, and then there are other times when you sit down, and I don't remember the last three paragraphs I read. Let me go back and do it again, and and prayer seems to be just me talking to myself, and what's going on? I think God gives us those close, intimate times, and then withdrawals, so that he will draw our hearts out and will remind us what you need to desire is me. What you need is more of me. You need to seek me. Israel, the the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Why? Because the believers in Israel, the true ones, the ones that had the, the, the knowledge of God, he's gonna draw them out. Lord, we need to hear from you. Not just, hey, would you zap my enemies, but zap my enemies because we need you. And so I think maybe that's what's going on. And that's how our approach to this should be. When God is silent, when God is different or distant, we need to remember all the blessings that he's given us, all the promises that he's given us because he's drawing us into a a deeper level of faith. That's why 2 Peter, I think is just so important. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When we feel it, when we sense it, when we experience and when we don't, It's still true. His divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Eli's boys didn't know the Lord. Samuel hadn't known the Lord because he hadn't yet heard the voice of the Lord. We all know the Lord. We have knowledge of him. So he's granted us everything we need through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His glory and excellence. That's what he wants to stir in us is a desire for more of that. How can I have more of that? Well, through the knowledge of him because he's called us by which he's granted to us his great and very precious promises so that through them we may be, become partakers of the divine nature. That's still true when you're having that sweet time of communion with the Lord and when he's, he's silent. When, when the lamp of the Lord is, is dim and when it burns bright, when the sun is high at noon and when it's dark in the middle of the night, these things are still true. So what we have to do is wrestle through this, is is continue to fight that fight of faith. These things have been written for you. This knowledge that God has given is given to you so that you might seek him more, so that you might delight in him more. And we have this sure, present promise that those in the new covenant have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the resources available. And so in those dry periods, what do you got to do? You got to seek him. You got to pursue him. You've got to go after him. Because what did Jesus promise you? Everyone who knocks, I will open to. Whoever asks will receive. Seek and you will find. That's one of those great and precious promises that He's given to us. So He might withdraw to draw you into that, that situation, to say, Seek me more. Desire more of me. There'll be, there's so much more that you haven't experienced yet. Don't get comfortable delight, but don't settle. Seek more. So that's what happens when God seems distant, when the word of the Lord is rare. Um, It's not rare for us. We have the fullness of it all given to us, and yet we want to make sure we desire him more. Let's pray. Lord, you have built us for desire. You made us to be creatures who, who seek. Um, Adam and Eve didn't start eating when they left the garden. They ate in the garden, and they were given all the fruit of all the trees in the garden except for one. That was a creation ordinance that they would become hungry, that they would desire, that they would seek. And so, Lord, that's, that's who we are as human beings as desirables, desirables, people who desire much. And, Lord, we know that ultimately the fruit of the garden won't satisfy will make us hungry again in short order. Lord, you, you alone can satisfy. So Lord, as we lay in the temple, as we listen for your voice, would you satisfy our hearts and our minds with more of who you are? May We come to delight in you. And Lord, we're grateful that the word of the Lord is not rare in these days, that it's abundant, that, that the word of the Lord goes throughout the entire earth. And so Lord, would you bring it to roost in our hearts again? in our minds, and cause us to know you more. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, because he's brought this and made this available to us. Amen.